Welcome back to Sixty Minutes. Today we celebrate the literary legacy of an Australian poet, who, throughout the duration of his life, refused to conform to the status quo. Les Murray, arguably Australia's most well-known, and not to mention most controversial, poet, has died this week, April twenty-nine, at the age of eighty. Murray was born in the seventeenth of October, nineteen thirty-eight, into a family of timber cutters and dairy farmers. Growing up, he lived in the primitive shack with leaky shingles, and had always identified with the underprivileged, especially the rural poor. In fact, it is not until he went to university that he met the middle class. Les Murray was born in Nabiac. A small town, mid north coast of New South Wales, he was an only child that grew up on a bush shack owned by his father, John Allen Murray. In nineteen fifty-three, Murray was sent to boarding school for one year, then to return to Tarry High School a year later and graduate. At the start of nineteen fifty-seven, he commenced an art degree at the University of Sydney. Two of Murray's poems were published in the literary journal Southerly in 1961. In the same year, he suffered a major breakdown, resulting in dropping out of university and hitchhiking to Melbourne. After travelling Australia, he then returned to Sydney. End of 1961. Then, in 1965, Murray released his first book, Illustre, which turned out to be a massive success. Which led to the Grace Levin Prize, which rocketed his career. Murray has gone through various jobs in his lifetime. In 1963, he was offered a job to be a translator for the Australian National University in Canberra, since he had a wide knowledge of European languages. In 1965, Murray released a poetry book, which was a joint effort. With Jeffrey Lehman, then in 1969 he had produced his own solo poetry book. From 1973 to 1980, Murray was the editor for Poetry Australia, and from the late 1970s to 1990s he was a poetry reader for publishers Angus and Wollaston. Murray released many poems which have reflected the struggles he faced throughout his life. Murray faced a grave ordeal when his mother died of ectopic pregnancy. This ultimately led to his father being overwhelmed with grief and was unable to take care of himself. During his time at school, Murray was the target of constant bullying because he was obese, had good grades, and wasn't as social as his peers. When Murray was in uni in 1971, he suffered a nervous breakdown that made him drop out. Murray was offered a fellowship but struggled to find a job until he committed to being a full-time writer. Unfortunately, Murray was afflicted with another nervous breakdown, which he confirmed himself led to chronic depression. Through various parts of his life, he had gotten into a public dispute with the literature board of the Australian Council, where Murray and his friends allegedly had political bias in the distribution of funds. In the wake of his death, we will be looking back at some of the three. Of his best poems, some of which cover big subjects like death, nation, and religion. The first poem of his that we'll be reading is called "The Future," which was published in nineteen seventy-seven. 
in a book he wrote called Ethnic Radio. The title single-handedly summarizes the gist of the poem, which is essentially about the uncertainty of the future. Let's read it together. There is nothing about it. Much science fiction is set there, but it is not about it. Prophecy is not about it. Saying that the future is unpredictable. Although there are a horde of science fiction stories out there providing an insight as to what the future might look like, not to mention the countless biblical prophecies that predict things like natural disasters, global politics, as well as, for God's sake, the ultimate destiny of mankind, no one truly knows what the world is going to be like hereafter. It's raised no yellow stalks and crystal is a mirror. Symbolism is used because yarrow stalks are a symbol for the gods. Yarrow stalks are used to consult divine energies, meaning he's trying to say that even the higher powers don't know about the future. Crystals are clear, so by saying crystal is a mirror, he is saying his point about no one truly knowing about the future is clear cut, almost as if going like... Duh, it's a given. Let's continue. Even the man we nailed on a tree full of cows said little about it. He told us evil would come. Now these lines are an allusion to Jesus Christ's crucifixion. Mari is basically saying that even Jesus Christ, who had an ability to envision the future, was still clouded with doubt about the future and was thus very vague in his description. Now, due to the mention of religion, some members of the audience might already disagree, becoming disconnected and responding negatively to his outlook. We see by convention a small living distance into it, but even that's a projection, and all our projections fail to curve the curves. We may see a little bit into our future, but even then, our predictions are rarely unerring. And what we expect in our minds may happen often doesn't occur in reality. It is the black hole out of which no radiation escapes to us. Black holes are symbols of mystery and much like the future are unknown. Because of the abstinence of light, it is impossible to see into it. The commonplace and magnificent roads of our lives go on some way through cityscape and landscape or simply sloping or screen into that sheer fall. You'll experience the ordinary moments in your life as well as the highlights in many different places, some where you least expect it. Alliteration is used here in steeply sloping or scree. Where everything will be that we have ever sent. The things that we are working hard to see they're compacted, spinning, except perhaps us to see it. They're compacted and spinning because of all the bumps and hurdles we have to pass through in our journey. It is said we see the sod. Life is simple from the start. We are born, we crawl, then after learning how to talk and walk, we go to school. But after we graduate, life gets a little more fuzzy and more complicated. But from here, there's a blindness. Now this last line ties up everything that has already been said, which is that it is impossible to see into the future because of how complex and unpredictable it is.
Now, I must say that this poem was published during the Industrial Revolution, which brought significant changes in social and living conditions. This may have explained why Mari felt the future was so uncertain, because the rapid urbanization that the Industrial Revolution caused would have been so unlike the poor, primitive conditions that Mari grew up in. And there you have it, an analysis of the future by literary giant Les Murray. It certainly is a very thought-provoking poem, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on this. If you want to contribute to the discussion, you can go to the 60 Minutes Facebook page. The next poem we will be reading is Dog Foxfield, read by Katrina and analyzed by Imogen. These were no leaders, but they were first, into the dark on Dog Foxfield. Anna who rocked her head, and Paul who grew big and yet giggled small. Irma who looked Chinese, and Hans who knew his world as a fox knows a field. Hunted with needles, exposed, unfed, this time in their thousands they bore sad cuts for having gazed and shuffled and failed to feel the lure of prey and hound. Then they had to thump and cry in the vans that ran while stopped in dog fox field. Our centuries, whose holocaust does not end, they show us when we cross into Dog Fox Field. The last poem we will be analysing is Airline Stressed Skin Blowout Mid-Pacific. This poem is about the United Airline Flight 811. In 1989, February 24th, the plane's cargo door flew off due to design flaws, resulting in nine fatalities. In the first line of the poem, the mile-high bubble civility describes the plane in the air, with everyone and everything peaceful and happy. Then the next three lines ruptured and instantly the tear stormed with a jet-like volatility of baggage, shoes and people into the air, refers to the unexpected cargo door failure where chaos fills the plane, darkly white and shrilling as the pole that every unbuckled thing was whirling to, describes all passengers without a seatbelt were facing an unfortunate fate. A member of the cabin crew was going with the west out the hole, these two lines are about a cabin mem crew member attempting to jump out the plane. When legs in a scissor lock around her and male hands in her clothes before the blue absolute mastered it, raped her of her fall. A man saves her from falling out the plane. The use of rape is often misinterpreted, as in this particular poem, it means to destroy and strip of its possession. The vaulter at the end reveals survival, 
with everyone having a joke. Then, under restored equal pressure, jested in a tear halo with joking humility. Although this poem has 14 lines and has and starts with a rhyme screen, toward the end it drifts off, resenting a sudden, representing a sudden change. This poem consists of metaphors such as when legs in a sizzle lock around her, and imagery such as baggage, shoes, people into the air. In 1990, a poetry book titled Dog Fox Field was published with a poem under the same name. The poem is loosely based off the ideals of the Newman by Charles. Les Murray focuses on discrimination of children and adults with disabilities. Murray's value of egalitarianism is briefly mentioned and will be focused on later throughout. The poem is refreshed, meaning it has no rhyme scheme. Anna, who walked ahead, and Irma, who looked Chinese, is imagery, as it brings the reader to focus on the previously mentioned people who have disabilities. Anna can't control her head movements, and Irma has Down syndrome, although the latter statement is controversial to certain individuals who fully don't understand the hidden meaning. Hans knew his world as a fox knows a field is a metaphor, and this is comparing Hans, who has high-functioning autism, to a fox who is well-educated on his area. This time in the thousands they bore side cuts is alliteration since it mainly repeats the letter T and nearly every word. This is very effective as it brings the reader's attention to the pain afflicted to the prisoners. Illusion is brought into the poem when Murray mentions historical events, the Nuremberg trials and the Holocaust. Enchantment is also utilized in the poem in the last line of the second verse to feel the law of the prey and hound flows with the first line of the third verse they, they had to thump and cry in the fans. This makes the poem easier to read. Hunted with needles exposed and unfed, prisoners in death camps were treated unfairly. They were hardly fed and were left to starve. Prisoners had to wear dirty clothes and were left out in the open for God to torture and ridicule. These were no leaders, but they were first into the dark on Dog Fox Field. Generally, leaders are associated with being courageous and smart, so they naturally go into well-known places first. Since the poem is talking about prisoners, since they're the first ones who go first into the Dog Fox Field, which are death camps, they then had to thump and cry in the vans that ran while stopped in Dog Fox Field. This particular line refers to the prisoners being thrown into vans for failing to form a sentence, so they cry a lot and hit the van or wanting to die. The van is to make them more scared since they were ready at the death camp. Our sentries whose holocaust does not end, they show us when we cross into Dog Fox Field. Sentries refers to soldiers who guard a place, and this ties in with the message that we are just sitting around doing nothing, while people are getting bullied. That we are in the future now, where we can make a difference and not allow people with disabilities to be discriminated. This is an ongoing battle for equality for individuals with disabilities. Murray's value of egalitarianism plays in since it's the value that everyone is equal, since people with disabilities are often discriminated against. Murray wants to prove that it isn't fair, so the poem was created to increase knowledge on this issue. Now that we are in the time where individuals aren't afraid to speak up, this issue should be reflected upon. In social context, Murray has always been smart due to his education, so he's well taught on issues regarding the human race. He has also been in a public dispute which increases his chances of speaking up. Whereas if he didn't get into that fight, he might have still cried. Although being bullied may have stopped him from speaking up at protests or live TV, his poems do that for him. Thank you for tuning in to our 60 Minutes podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to us. Tune in next time when we find out who killed Les Murray.